1: what is up nets fans jack Manuel here for the brooklyn buzz and an incredibly one of my favorite special guests we ever have on this podcast my guy from nets daily chris mulholland chris how are we my friends doing good brother
2: how about you i've always enjoyed talking to you especially since you're halfway across the world
1: yeah we still make it work we always we always always make it
2: work you know i always got i'm always gonna carve out time for you no matter what day of the week it is time of the week you're, you're my guy
1: You are one of the kindest people in Nets world. And that's why I love chatting hoops with you. And we'll get straight into it because the people are here for the Nets talk and especially when it comes to you. So I wanted to ask you just a general Nets question. And I want to preface it with a Kevin Durant quote post the Wizards game. And he said this, and I think this might have been actually from Matt Brooks, um, your colleague. For the most part, I like the brand of basketball we played on both ends of the floor. Regardless of who was on the court, we still played our system. Chris, what do you see as the Nets quote brand of basketball? And have you liked what you've seen over this recent winning stretch and the system of play, I guess, to, to, to steal some of Kevin Durant's words.
2: Yeah. So obviously the schedule has been favorable on their half. Right. I think, uh, what it's been one team that actually had a winning record against them. Portland, in
1: that yeah.
2: It was Portland, yeah. And like, you know, it's, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to like dumb down on Portland, but like, you know, at that time, it's like they didn't have a lot of people playing in that game as well. You know what I mean? So it's like, When you look at it, obviously they they took care of business. They did what they were supposed to do. You know, you play who's on the court. You do it that way, right? And with Kevin, you know, the good thing is it's like obviously in that homestand you had obviously a couple key injuries with you in the beginning. You had obviously – you still have TJ Warren come back, getting his legs. Obviously you had a little rumbling with Ben Simmons coming off the – obviously the lateral left calf strain, which kind of connected to the knee. So those two injuries are relative. So obviously he wasn't kind of a full go, play 30 minutes. It was more so, okay, monitor his minutes, see how he is. And you could tell that he was kind of playing with the, the um, especially in the first couple of games, you know, he wasn't as aggressive, so you could tell that was on his mind a little bit. And then obviously you got guys like Joe Harris who came out of a big shooting slump, which is a big takeaway. You had obviously Kevin and Kyrie doing Kevin and Kyrie things. So you know, like I guess the branded basketball, you know, it, the I, I I'm not don't want to jump ahead because obviously uh, me and you talked about like what's coming and everything, but like the um, these this next slate of games is going to tell a lot about this team, especially like you know once. I feel like, obviously, the Warriors and Bucks are the, the the pinnacle of the whole schedule. But, you know, now that they have, like, a full, healthy team, everyone should, like, TJ and Ben should get minutes increases starting Friday. And then, you know, so I, I don't want to label a brand of basketball so early. But at the same time, you know, obviously, like I said before, like, they've been taking care of business.
1: Yeah, I think that the upcoming stretch, as you alluded to, is going to be crucial. You know, the Nets, I think I looked the other day, they're like the eighth easiest schedule. They've started the season with a, a big, you know, roads and back-to-backs and, and everything else. And obviously, you know, the, the resting of those eight players brought some semblance of controversy. But, you know, there was a stat I saw in some post i can't remember where it was and you alluded to it as well since mm-hmm. november 27 where they have been eight and one there was only one win against that team which is portland and only one was and only one was double digits which was against the washington wizards the other night so you can sort of take from what you will and i think a, a measured approach like you're sort of saying is fair enough because you know the nets aren't you know one of the best teams in the league you know, they're mm-hmm. not on the boston celtics level just yet they're not on the maybe even on the milwaukee bucks level yet even though they've had a decent stretch against them and it in, including in that stretch, I think the Cavs uh, are also in that as well. So that's going to be a big barometer now that they're only I think half a game, if not maybe one and a half games after the Cavs might have played the other night. Um, it, it's it's just a really really close, and the Sixers are doing their thing as well. But in relation to that stretch, Chris, you know, I did a bit of research. Got to be switched on when I'm talking Nets with you. Mm-hmm. They're 15 and six since Steve Nash departed. They've had the eighth best offense, the sixth best defense, they're fourth in net rating, fourth in E field goal percentage and third in play impact estimate. Do you think those numbers are sustainable or are they a little bit noisy?
2: You know that that's obviously like the money question, right? Obviously, like don't get me wrong, the money question is obviously is it sustainable? It's going to stem with health. You know, like like every other team in the league, if you're healthy, that then you could be, you have the eligibility to be sustainable, right? But you know, like since Steve departed, um, you could tell that there's a different type of connectivity with this team, right? You could tell like even though a lot of players, when Steve is kind of out out of the do- like kind of out of his way, like out of the door type of thing, and You know, know, he was on the tail end of departing after the 2-5 and start. You kind of saw that his messaging wasn't really quite getting through. Obviously, you know, the in-game adjustments were a big part of it, you know. And I think on the other end of the things, it's now that Vaughn's in there, he, he's one of those coaches that, you know, even though hey he's been around since a lot of people don't, he's literally been around the the team since I, Joe Harris, really, right? He's been one of the, I think behind Joe or whoever came first, you know, he's the longest tenured guy on this team, you know, like, so he knows, obviously, the, it's hard to believe Kevin's the second one that's longest tenured. But Vaughn's been one of those coaches that's been able to hold the players accountable. If you're not playing hard out there, he's not going to play you, or he's going to he's going to d- d- cut down your role. He's also been one of those guys that like his messaging has been gone through. You know, you hear all these players praising his simplification of the offensive end and defensive end. You know, the net switching obviously has been a lot more sharper as of late. You see, kind of just uh, all the guys that you know, even in even in, I'm not going to uh, knock on Stephen anyway, but you know, when a lot of the guys at the end of the bench in the postseason. Uh, or even the late tail end of the season, I got cut out of the rotation. You could tell like when their numbers were called, they weren't. Go, they're not. They weren't really too urgent of making advantage of that opportunity. Obviously, it's late in the season, but they weren't. They weren't. Um, I guess you could say like you know, overall, just the messaging wasn't going through. This you could just tell like you know, a lot of the guys that weren't playing, you know, when they got on the court, they weren't. Obviously, the game reps weren't there. You could tell they were obviously a little off in some ways but you saw with Vaughn like you saw it against the Pacers obviously DeRon Sharp came to play Camp Thomas came to play the rookies also came to play in complimentary factors as well so you know Vaughn like I said I think you really if you want to put a bow on why the Nets have been so sustainable in the home stretch aside from the favorable schedule is that they're all playing hard they're all playing for each other and you could just tell that Vaughn simplification on both ends of the floor especially on the defensive end of the floor is paying value
1: yeah, I think that messaging is is something that's really important when, and you know the the voice and the nature of the voice and how things are communicated, and you sort of alluded to that, as have the star players, the guys that are with him, you know, and, and are listening and taking on that message, and for those that haven't seen it, you know, the on the road video, the Nets always do some good stuff with the behind the yeah. scenes stuff, and, you know, Jacques was like, you know, we, got, we had this plan, you guys went in, and you executed, and the, the fact that he was able to go, all right, our game plan is going to be completely different to how we normally play, you know, our, our style of basketball offensively, defensively, because you know, the points in the paint, the offensive rebounding was something that you're not going to see from the normal Brooklyn Nets. But the fact that, that he was still able to get that out of the role players out of Damon Sharp, who was an absolute monster. Utah Watanabe is always going to be a monster. We love Yuta the shooter or shooter, the blocker, but I can't, whatever it was that Iron Eagle said, I've got to get, get that in my notes.
2: Yeah, he's got a lot of catchphrases, but like, <laughs> like the back, the picking off your point there, like, you know, you looked against the Pacers, right? They like, think we me wrong. This team has not gone drop in a, a very long time. But the other thing is they went zone too, you know? Yeah. So you could see the adjustments that Vaughn makes like during the games. He saw, I think it was, I think it was like the six minutes left in the fourth or something like that. When the Pacers started to claw back in it, they went zone, you know? So you see those in-game adjustments. You could see that everyone's been on the same page. And that's just a byproduct of what Vaughn's doing behind the scenes to get this team. And like I said before, the messaging is going through, the simplification. It kind of all gets all thrown into one.
1: Yeah, and I think with that he sort of said that, like you know I'm not going to throw it at them before the halftime break because then they're going to be able to make adjustments at halftime. So that's a, a little smart thing because at the end of the day the players are the ones that go out there and win you their game. But coaches can do the little things behind the scenes that we're talking about in terms of communication, plays, rotations, and and pretty much. A, a, I've been pleasantly surprised and happy with the success that he has had in communicating what he's had to communicate and executing in terms of the timeouts. That's one thing I love, and the fact that I. I think it might have been Matt again or someone who spoke to, to Vaughn today a- alongside you today talking about the timeouts and the fact that when we call them, you know, we have the iPads out and we're looking at what they did wrong. This is what happened. This is how that open corner three happened. And that, that happens sometimes a little bit too often. But the I fact praise
2: him for that. I praise him a lot
1: for that. I love that because it's just like a coach needs to coach. Like it's it's your job to actually do some level of coaching. And Steve Nash, you know, you're not going to criticize him. I've done that probably too much. But he wouldn't hold those guys accountable. He wouldn't call those timeouts. He'd be like, the guys can figure it out. They're mature enough. And I'm like, yes, sure. Yeah,
2: he, he, he would let the players police themselves way too often. Yeah.
1: And, and that's fine because Kevin and Kyrie Irving can do that. But they also... They've enjoyed the fact that they've been coached you know, a little bit now. They want that accountability. The superstars love that. Tim Duncan, Seth Curry, all those sort of guys. They want to be coached. They want to have that accountability. And like you know, the KD Curry, pick and roll we've seen a little bit of it. Want to want to see more of it, and Shark form probably does as well. But all really good things, I guess, in relation to that. You know, it's uh, out of the numbers that I alluded to there. Whether it's offensively, defensively, you know, just general winning. What do you think is the most sustainable on end of the floor or, or stylistic thing that you're seeing from this net squad over this recent positive stretch?
2: You know, it's not, I'm not going to go statistically. I think if they just bring the effort and do that scrappy gritty play, I think it just all molds into one and it can unlock the potential, right? Because you could see, obviously with the home stretch, you know, I'm going to say it for the third time, it's a, it was a favorable schedule, but you saw them actually rebound the ball. You know, that was another big thing, right? They rebounded the ball. They were obviously, like you saw, I, mean, I, I would say in the early stretch of the games, you have to go through the film and stuff. You know, there's some guys that were overhelping, right? There were some guys that were obviously underhelping. But you could just tell when they had that greedy play of playing for one another. Kevin's praised that coming times. Like, same thing with Kyrie Irving. You know, just playing for one another, obviously gang rebounding. Obviously, you know, when they have Uta back, uh, kind of full strength, you know, he's a big rebounder. You got to see what TJ Warren does, too on the boards especially after he gains a little more confidence in his legs i'm not saying he's confident he's driving to the basket and everything in a couple games back but you know once he gets a couple like a, a double digit uh kind of games under his belt you could see what he unlocks in that avenue what this team obviously targets at the deadline i think me and you both know uh or have an idea of exactly where they what they're going to target and if they have the assets you know that's the other thing but you know like you just you kind of just look at All of it and above, you know, I think if this team could just really play hard and obviously put together a strong start, um, just literally just play four quarters of basketball, obviously that's self explanatory, but you know, you saw in the Steve Nash era, they would start off hot, or if they went, if they start off hot, they would drop off in the third quarter, and then it would be back to a game. Obviously, those have trickled over a little bit into the Vaughn tenure, but you also saw too, Vaughn's put a heavy emphasis on starting strong, maintaining the composure. Keeping it out there, like like you just alluded to, obviously calling timeouts where he doesn't see something, calls out exactly what was wrong, makes adjustments on the spot, like I alluded to with the Indiana game. So you know I think if if, if the messaging stays strong, obviously they do those nitty gritty details. Obviously rebounding is huge because you're taking shots away from the opponent, which obviously that's been a, a large avenue of why the Nets struggled in the beginning of the year because they couldn't rebound, which gives the the team 10 to 15 even 20 more shots, and that's hard to win a game if even if they're not going in. So. And obviously, second chance points. Everyone knows that, but you know, I, I guess that that kind of sums it up for you.
1: Yeah, I think the the little things do matter in an 82 game season. You know when it comes to you know the playoffs and, and the adjustments within the game and and after the game, that's when you sort of get into the intricacies of defensive coverages and offensive coverages that you and Matt and Nick are, are great at doing those things but the little things as you alluded to you know the Nets might not be winning the rebounding battles a lot of the time but what I look for is are they being blown out are they losing it by 10 or 15 and most of the time the the games that I've been recapping it's like they might lose it by three or four or five and they might win the offensive rebounding you know battle one or twice because TJ uh, or sorry Yuta Watsonabe might be there or or Klax is, is, is battling down there and KD I think it's weird when KD rebounds the ball well I think it's just because he's the leader of this team he's the best player one of the best players in the league when he rebounds well the rest of the team seems to just follow suit it's just when he has like seven plus rebounds and he's jumping up and he's not sort of just like uh, waiting for the ball to come to him. Ben is also a wonderful rebounder when he's fit and healthy and when he can bounce a little bit. Kyrie, I think he's rebounding the ball really, really well. I think it's underrated uh, in in that sort of respect. It's like you you listen, we we have similar basketball minds in terms of just a, a simple thing just dictates so much. And some people might not think that defensive rebounding is an important thing, but it ends a defensive possession. I think it's one of the most important parts of defense End the defensive possession by boxing out and some of those long rebounds and you might get one tipped out of your hands or whatever, but at least I'd rather want two or three guys going up for it and, and colliding and then it ends up in a layup. Cool. That's fine. You know, that, that just happened. I'd rather over effort or over exertion leading to mistakes than, just lackadaisical laziness, which they were yep. doing in the uh, at earlier points of the season and, and in early points of games. You alluded to the four quarter thing, and it brought up a thought in my mind that I didn't have on our rundown. Are you worried about the non-Kevin Durant minutes? Because when KD plays, you know he's full, you know 12 minutes at the start, comes back in, you know midway sort of through the third, you know those sort of 15 or so minutes where KD sits. The Nets sometimes struggle. And I think some of that has been plagued by Ben Simmons' absence. You know, he has been setting up the team quite well. Kyrie Irving, sometimes inconsistently, not knowing, you know, when to be aggressive, when to be off the ball, when to just having a a better feel for, for the squad overall. Does that worry you at all? Because when Kevin Durant is out there, I'm just like, we're fine. When our stars are out there, we're fine. And now guys are healthy, which is just amazing to actually say about the Brooklyn Nets. But about the non-Kevin Durant minutes, is there any semblance of concern for you?
2: Yeah, there's definitely concern, you know. But at the same time, you know, it's it's tough because when you bring up Kevin Durant minutes, I'm very I'm very very big on not exhausting him by the time playoffs come. Right. I'm very big on that. I've I've said it before. Royce O'Neal's minutes are even alarming as well. You know, before he took the two day two game absence, he was second in the league in total minutes per game. I think it was like nine hundred and ninety-seven minutes, right? Kevin's obviously above my he's probably broken he's definitely broken a thousand by now. But you know, yeah, because the thing with Kevin is, you know, he's he's the main guy on the team. He's the main leader on the team. And when he's off the floor, you know, like when like you alluded to before, when Kevin's grabbing rebounds, when, you know, he's he's obviously driving to the rim. He's not just facilitating his own offensive one-on-one iso ball, but, you know, the ball's moving. He's making shots. He's kind of, you know, we've seen it a couple times this year where I don't want to just name someone right here, but you've seen it with Joe Harris a little more commonly than others where he holds him accountable on the court when he misses a back, a backdoor cut. He misses the smaller little details of things. But with the, back, with the non-Kevin Durant minutes, it's one of those things that the team just has to care. Like before, it's just effort-based. You know what I mean? You have to just, you know, even though your leader's off the floor and, say, it's a six-man span or, you know, if obviously laid down in quarters, most of the time he's playing. If not, he's going to sit out for the final two minutes of the first, whatever, however you want to cut it up. But, you know, you've seen Vaughn recently as well. You know, he's one of those guys that's not afraid to put Kevin back in if he sees his, his team losing, right? You've seen it before and how many times this season, especially in the beginning, path before the home stretch, where even even during the home stretch sometimes, where they would be up 12, or 17, 15, and it's the fourth quarter and there's eight minutes left instead of get, ke- giving Kevin that six minutes of extra rush was usually his custom ability or even the first, well, I guess six, to, or I can go anywhere from three to six, but you had it sometimes where it's a tie game with nine fifty left and Kevin's playing the rest of those nine minutes and then boom, he's at the 40 mark. Right. So, you know, I think it just stems from effort. I think, you know, I'm a big, I forgot if you couldn't tell yet, but, um, I I think that's pretty much what it is. And obviously you mentioned Kyrie. That was a great point by you. Obviously when Kevin has been off the floor, there's been a lot of times where he's indecisive of being, when to be aggressive, when to not be aggressive. You see when he is aggressive, obviously there's a lot of three point shooting involved in that. You see that there's obviously, you know, not the ball, I guess a big part of obviously Kevin not being off the floor. I think you could agree here. Like everyone else is that, yeah, the ball doesn't move. It's very stagnant sometimes. So that's obviously because of the gravity, the drawing the loss of the drawing gravity there. So, you know, it is concerning, but at the same time, you know, the, that's that's one of those things that the Nets got to kind of overcome and build a continuity and fluidity with when he's off the floor.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Yeah, and luckily, you know, in the Wizards game, I think he got five minutes less. I think he only played like 33 minutes, which is like a godsend. That,
2: that's a godsend right there.
1: Literally, and I think that with Ben Simmons coming back and working his way into health, I loved the Ben simmons Curry combination. I think both of those guys, I've said it time and time again on this podcast, and I'll say it to you as well, I think that both of them have skills that unlock each other's strengths. You know, Ben's a, a, a great passer. Curry's a great cutter. Ben is willing to push the pace. Kyrie is willing to push the pace. So I think having those two back on the floor, developing a sense of synergy, because KD and Ben are pretty good together as well, just offensively and defensively. So I think that as the Nets continue, there's obviously going to be ins and outs and, and injuries here and there, which will affect, you know, that's that semblance of continuity and and the effort for 48 minutes and the engagement for 48 minutes and the execution. But it's a work in progress and then if you had have given me you know where the nets are as they stand after you know 30 or so games i'd I'd take it especially their recent form and yes some of it is a little bit noisy but overall i'm I'm pretty happy where they stand it's going to be as you alluded to when it comes again come up against because you know we've seen them against the boston celtics they faltered pretty it was just i think it was like 9 or 12 or something like that not a massive margin but it was just like now the nets aren't on this level just yet but they can get there. I, I, I have a bit of faith that, as you alluded to, the moves that that, that could be made that, that in in that sort of sense. But in terms of you sort of alluded to, and I wonder if you could detail a little bit more. You know, Jacques Vaughan compared to sort of Steve Nash. You sort of talked about communication and, and accountability. Uh, are there any other sort of things that stick out in terms of whether how the players are responding to him when you see them at the, at the Clays or you know, in press conferences where they're speaking glowingly about him? We've, we've already heard that and mentioned that. Are there any other big things that sort of stick out to you? Like do you see things on the bench where, you know, KD's looking at Jacques Vaughn in a certain style of fashion or Markeith Morris is, you know, engaged with him or, or something like that? Are there any differences that we might not see, you know, not being at the arena or, or stuff like that?
2: You know, it's I want I want to go I don't want to go far and say like hey like it's an it's a whopping you know differential of what we see to what you guys see off the TVs or if you're in the stands right because you know like I would say you know they're all on one page that's the good thing you know they're all on one page you know they all have that one goal in mind they're building the continuity that you can also tell that there's like kind of that fun feeling right you could tell after practices when we meet with players you know they they I mean, talk about hey how was practice today they're, they're willing to go into some detail. You know, even in games after games, even if it's a loss, right, they learn, They know that, hey, um, if you ask, hey, if you looked at the box score, what are some positive things? They'll give you positive responses and say, hey, we did this better. We didn't do this well, whatever the case is. And you could tell all based on those responses. Usually, obviously, Vaughn leads off first in the post games. Vaughn would say something and I would tell you probably nine times out of ten. Kevin Durant would say that same exact thing in the post game presser. And then you obviously go down the Kyrie Irving, or if it's Ben Simmons, for example, they would allude to the same exact thing, right? So the messaging is like, like I said before, obviously you said, hey, anything but messaging. But you could tell the messaging's on point for sure. You could tell also the passions there too, you know, with Vaughn. You know, I think that his passion's very contagious with this group because you see him on the sidelines. Obviously, he's the most, he's not the most, um, I guess you could say, like, very, very competitive guy, like arguing with the refs, that type of stuff. But you could tell as well, like, you know, you could see his body language, holding guys accountable on the spot, whipping out the iPads, you know, just all those little nits and bits, like, you know, and all that type of stuff. It's so contagious for the rest of the group. So I just think overall, you know, I think compared to Steve, you know, obviously I'm going to allude to the point I made earlier, you know, when during that two and five star and obviously everything that kind of went on in the offseason, you could tell that just bounced into a huge snowball that couldn't roll any farther, right? So, you could tell Vaughn, obviously, when he came into this job, too, you know, all, like I said before, all these guys have praised this simplification for both ends of the floor. You know, you can just kind of tell the messaging's all at one point. At this time, too, they're all just working together and kind of finding, okay, the best matchups, which guys play together, can Claxton and Simmons play together, you know, like all those, all those little type of little intricate details, but they're figuring it out very well, you know, right now, obviously.
1: Yeah, I think the number one thing as you alluded to there, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, we simplify things that might seem a, a little bit reductive, but the fact that Kevin Durant is 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 vibing and and, and connecting with Jacques Fort. You need yep. the team superstar in any form or fashion to have a good rapport with the coach. It's it's as mm-hmm. simple as that. You know, Jimmy Butler and her expulsion when they blew up, everyone was going crazy. And you know, obviously, we we know what happened in the off with us. But Kevin Durant and Jacques Vaughn seem to have a very strong rapport. Obviously, I think I can't remember who it was that put out where it was just like both of them actually played at some point in into yep. the same games, and that shows that Kevin Durant's longevity is just out of sight. But
2: plus, it's like you know, a lot of people forget has been Vaughn's been there since Kevin got there too you know this isn't just like a new head coach that got thrown into the system taking over the whole ship and implementing his principles and, and obviously like you know his play calls all that type of stuff this is a guy that's been with brooklyn since like i think it was i think it's 2016 don't quote me on that it could be but you know he's been there the whole time kevin kyrie had been there you know he's been on the bench he's had a voice on the bench you know he was the lead assistant under steve nash you know it's not some guy that got promoted from the back of the bench that went forward right this was a guy that sat literally as close as you could get to the helm without being in the helm right so it wasn't like um, especially obviously now that he's in the spotlight he's the main guy he's the coach you hear from him a lot more you know obviously you don't hear from assistants rarely ever but now that you now that obviously audience the fan base hear from him and see what he's about, his emotion, kind of everything that he kind of holds in his position and in the opportunity. Plus, you got to remember, this is also an opportunity that Vaughn's been craving for a long time. You know what I mean? He got passed up for this job twice, if not, I think even three. No, twice, twice, with Kenny and then obviously with Steve, right? So he knows, like, he's been, like, for a guy, think about it. If you're hungry to be, be a coach of this team, you get handed this opportunity with an organization that you've been with for seven years or going on seven years, you know, like, you're going to take full advantage of it. And like I said before, he knows the players. Obviously, there's been a lot of new faces that got implemented from the offseason to this season, but there's no bigger players to hold relationships with than, like you just said, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving
1: absolutely in terms of you alluded to and touched on the sort of upgrades that need to be made you know for yeah. the nets going forward, we know that there might be a piece or two in terms of strengthening the depth in their rotation to compete with a Boston or a golden state or whoever else you want to throw in there in terms of players on the nets who do you see as like you know valuable trade pieces who could you see being traded we've heard you know, the, the Atlanta Hawks aren't interested in Joe Harris. You know, there's talks of, you know, will Paddy Mills be traded or not, you know, because he has a strong relationship with Sean Marks and, and Ben Simmons and those sort of things. What player players do you see being packaged in the trade? There's obviously that Sixers pick as well, which now yeah. that the Sixers are going well, it's not going to be Victor Wembanyama. yama I'm sorry, Nets fans, after a pretty poor start from the Sixers, but they're going back on track. What packages of players, what combination of players could you see being out there? Even a Cam Thomas, they Sharp, these sort of guys.
2: Well, you got to start with Kevin and Dayron, right? You know, because when you think about it, a lot of the t- a lot of the targets that fan ba- the fan base has been calling for, especially you know if you look at the stretch five, the five, whatever the case is, there's like a lot of people know this, and I think you even know this as well. Base who would be available in the trade market and you look at their respective teams that they're on, for example, a lot of the nets the nets don't really have assets that can match up and give that team exactly what they want, right? They don't have draft capital. They have handfuls of young players here. But at the same time, it's going to be hard to compete with other teams that may be obviously in the mix, you know. So you got to go with obviously Cam. Cam, Cam's a big one. Seth's also a big one, right? You know, because Seth, you're not you're, the Nets probably won't have enough to extend him next year, you know. So you got to think about that avenue. Then you look at obviously Patty, for example. But with Patty, there's the Ben relationship. Is how much his contract is, whether that's a tradeable asset or not. Obviously, De'Ron Sharp, you know, obviously he's he's proven his worth. He's kind of been – I know a lot of fans have been calling him kind of stuck in the middle of, hey, he's too good for the G League. But at the same time, where this Nets team is right now, it's hard to play him in those type of positions. Kessler Edwards as well. You know, Kessler Edwards is one of those guys. and. Like I said before, you know, it's even though, hey, you know, they could I would like the Nets to steal what kind of what Boston did, the trade deadline, scrapping that weak links, obviously scrapping the smaller guards that are unplayable in those type of series. You look, obviously, what happened Boston this past off, this past playoffs. Right. Then you look at other teams as well around the league, Eastern Conference contenders that have length. you know, we saw against Boston a few weeks ago, you know, guys like Cam and Seth and, you know, those guys under mostly undersized guards. They're really unplayable in the series. Right. And, you're, you know, the Nets do know. Or that they, they should acknowledge that hey, you're not going to get you're not going to breeze through these without catching Boston or Milwaukee in the playoffs. You know what I mean? It's going to be one of those two teams if you advance to the second round, Bar- barring obviously they drop in the standings. How the standings work out, who knows? So, you know, it's 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 one of those situations. Obviously, look at like guys like Tule- maybe Joe Harris, right? Joe Harris is obviously a tradable contract as well. Longest tenured net. I know Sean really appreciates what he's done in Brooklyn. Values him heavy. But you know, obviously, at his position, at his price, he's one of those guys too that is that could obviously convey a lot of interest from from obviously opposing teams that need three point shooting. You know, obviously, he's been also a staple in the the, the defense as well, kind of uh, been a, a byproduct of Nets improved switching defense. Then you look at like you know like I have all, like all this is just straight. I'm telling you, trade market, just weigh it out, right? You know, so you also got to look at guys, for example, like it could get a little tricky, right? Because obviously some guys can't get traded until January 15th, right? Obviously some guys can't get couldn't get traded until today. Technically, well, it's twelve oh six today, right? So, hey, December 15th, right? That's when a lot of the guys on the Nets roster are not eligible to be traded, the guys that got signed in the offseason. So, you know, overall, you just got to look at it. You know, it's – you got to look at, obviously, Cam, Seth, Patty, uh, Sharp, you know, Kessler, Edwards, see what value they kind of got. Then you look at guys, too. I guess if it's the right price, you pull it with Royce O'Neill, for example, right? Joe Harris. You know, there's obviously a fair share of players that are clearly untouchable with this team stemming from the stars. But, you know, overall, if you're the Nets, you you know where your holes are. You know how you can really improve your roster here. But, you know... Um, they're they're also a team that don't have a lot of assets to package with those guys to get those players that fit really well
1: yeah and i guess in in saying that we've been alluding to it a little bit there's obviously you know some needs and that are are pretty obvious and we we don't necessarily need to go through them you know in 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 detail but we we know what they are but in terms of that what do you think is one the biggest point of need and who do you actually think there's a player out there or players that fit that mold? Because, you know, we get the, the discussion back and forth about certain players on net, Twitter and whatever. And some people are like, well, this guy's just a two, an at home version of, you know, miles Turner or whatever. Is, uh, is there a guy out there that actually fits what the nets need or do, Nets fans need to go. Okay, well maybe Vucevic is that guy. Maybe Mo Bamba is that guy. Maybe PJ Washington is that guy. And then you can start to think about. Okay, maybe Seth Curry in a first, or maybe Cam Thomas is, is, is has a first round semblance of value, or you know, Joe Harris. You're not really going to offer because that sort of fifteen to twenty million dollar contract is where you start to get. You know, unless it's a Kyle Kuzma, which you know Nick and I are planning to do a trade show in the future, and we might be able to hopefully get you on one of them. You know, sure. It's 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 about you know who is it and what other guys out there. Is there a guy that actually fits exactly what the Nets need, or does there need to be a semblance of compromise? And do you make a move if that's not uh, uh, the case? I've done a long winded question here, but a, a move you. needs to be made at the end of the day, surely.
2: Mm-hmm. Surely, surely. And I don't think this team. I don't think this team goes without making a move. I think. I think they know it's time to make a move. Obviously, you know like I said before everything that transpired in the offseason last last offseason obviously it's behind the team now but the nets got a clear bright light shined on them that said hey even though Kevin could be under this for a while now you know you never know what could happen down the line you know what i mean you like their championship window like i said before is closing each and every year last offseason i said it before if they don't win it next season i don't think they're going to win it the year after you know it clo- it's, clo- it's i think it's closing the more people expect it to be closing. So you brought up guys like Vucevic, right? Vucevic is one of my great targets, obviously, with how the Chicago Bulls are doing. And, you know, I think personally, I I, I see them blowing it up. You know, I, I really do. I just don't think they're fully confident in what stage they're at. So I think they're going blow it up. And obviously, stemming from everyone there, I think Vucevic was obviously, the, I think, the first one out the door in that organization. Then you look at guys like Jakob Pearl, for example, right? That was one of my guys that I, I really had interest in when um, this past offseason. You heard some rumblings about it, um, but you know Jakob Pearl's a, a good one. Obviously, Sean Marks, Jack Vaughn, they have the Spurs connection over there. You look at what they could get for him, such as, like, especially where San Antonio is and that kind of that building block of the rebuild stage. Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp, Kessler Edwards, you know, guys like Kessler Edwards could be a serious X factor, even though you know. He hasn't been able to carve out a role because of the wing depth that the the Nets possess with, obviously, now with T.J. Warren starting to get his legs on their Muta, you know, Joe Royce, you name them all. He's been the guy on the short end of the stick there. So he could be a coveted guy um, to really go out with. Then you look at, you know, I think I, I remember seeing it on Twitter, and I'm kind of I'm, I'm a fit now. Obviously, I, we haven't seen a large sample size of him, especially since he's been coming on this year for the first 29 games. A guy like Nick Richards, right, from Charlotte. You know, obviously he's got that – he's from uh, Jersey City. He's got that alma mater connection to Kyrie Irving, right? But you also got to see how how much Charlotte values him, right? And what would Charlotte want back in return, especially for a team that's young and trying to – like, you know, they're a couple – they're a lot of pieces away from where they really want to be. So, you know, but like overall, you know, I think it's going to be one of those deals that obviously the Nets don't have a lot of luxuries to offer. It's not like they could trade draft capital. And at the same time – bearing what 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 would have what could have happened this offseason i'd imagine that sean marks won't initially go all in and trade away all of his young talent to kind of put all of his chips on the table and say you know what let's cam out Dayron out seth out you know all the young players on this team i don't see him getting i don't see all of them going out unless it's completely at the right price and it's the right player but you know, the, to kind of sum it all up, you know, I know a lot of a lot of Nets fans have been calling for these big names, you know, these former All-Stars, obviously up there a little up in the age of Vucevic, for example, you know, like those type of guys. But you never know when you look down the trade market what Sean kind of possess, And at the same time, he's, been, he's had a history of finding diamond in the rough players, obviously, at, at this stage and at this stage of where, where the Nets stand. Finding stability, obviously, like I said, this 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 next and this next uh, couple games, the next couple slate is going to tell a lot about this team, and that's good because then you head right into the mid-January where trade stocks really start to heat up, right? But you know, um, to kind of just sum it all up, you know, I don't, I do think this team's going to make a move, um, whether they're aggressive in the buyout market, which they've been the past two years. I can imagine they'll definitely do their sniffing around. You look at guys like Markeep Morris, for example. I thought I'd toss him in there. I don't think he's a tradable asset, but at the same time, he's obviously he's a waivable asset, you know, so because of his contract situation. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of it's a big broken puzzle. You got a lot of things to move around. But, you know, I'm confident that I could I'm confident to say that I think they'll make a move.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I
1: like the point you made about you know the, the, dry, the young capital that the nets have on their roster and i think some of us get frustrated by it because these guys have so much talent you know you alluded yeah. to it you know kessler Edwards in san antonio they could develop into a Kelvin johnson sort of type cam thomas in an okc or, or san antonio sort of system where it allows him to get the volume that, that allows him to flourish and daron sharp is a, a an incredible rebounding big it's mm-hmm. just you know whether they're going to give up all of them. I, I like that sort of point because you know are you sort of keeping one foot in where it's just like well, Kevin Durant might not be here much longer. Uh, you know, do we does he uh, ask for another trade? Is Kyrie Irving you know his status with the team given you know he's on a, an opt-in deal and you know only has one year on this contract? It's sort of just like the the juggling, the maneuverability that that, that is all there. It, it's going to be interesting to see. I put something out on Twitter and I'll, I guess I just want to ask it to you just to put yeah, it plain yeah. and simple. Dream target and most realistic target.
2: Most realistic target I would go with Jakaprodal. Uh Dream target, I would go Nikola Vucevic. I
1: like it. I like it. I mean I'm a I'm a big OG Ananobi stand. I'd kill to have him, but I think he's just too good. He's just I too good he's for- Too
2: good, And I, I think the Raptors would want a lot for him. You know, yeah. I think because you look at the Raptors, you know, they've his name has been wiggled around and trade talks like crazy, you know, dating back. I think it's almost been a year and it's, it's almost been two years, a year and a half. Right. And considering obviously a situation, everything there, I think the Raptors would want a little too much. And, you know, I love my, I lo- I would love OG on this team. You know, the, obviously a defensive profile, you know, obviously I know a lot of guys are like, Hey, you know, what about the offensive guys? You know, like we need offense. No, you don't have offense. defense OG and OB can shoot three and D wing. Like defensive profile, so I understand that, but I think it's just too much. The to, I think it's it's going to be too much for Mesai to cough up. You know, I think that at the end of the day, you know, Mesai is going to really shake their hand there and be like, "Hey,
1: you want him? You know, we you know what we want." Exactly, and and despite the fact that. There could be a package available, whether it's Joe Harris and Nick Claxton, because Nick Claxton has been shown interest. I think it was Zach Lowe that reported in the past that the Raptors showed interest in Nick Claxton, giving up a first-round pick for him. If, and,
2: if Nick went to Toronto, they would make him into a monster. I'm telling I, you right now.
1: They would he, him a monster. He, he's already developing into, you know, he might not be the scariest monster in the world right now, but he's monstrous yeah. with the way that he's playing. So it, it's just in, interesting to, to ponder and stuff. We could chat about this trade stuff all day, but... I guess I wanted to ask uh, some more nitty-gritty sort of net stuff. We've been chatting a little bit about the role players, you know, TJ Warren, Yuta Watsonabe, these sort of guys. I just want to ask your general thoughts about them I know you've got a really keen interest on, on TJ Warren and a stat for Yuta Watsonabe because i got to bring some stats to the show. Yuta Watsonabe shooting 16-22, 72.7% on corner threes, 21 of 30 in the restricted area, and has only attempted one min range shot all season. So he's the perfect sort of 3 and D guy we've been talking about, and you've alluded to his rebounding, which I have loved as well, but but give me your just general TJ Warren and Yuta Abe thoughts, whether it's like the minutes restriction. I, I thought TJ Warren played great the other night against Washington. I think he's being mm-hmm. used really well. I, I love the way that, that Jacques Warren is implementing him. And I love everything that Watson Watsonabe does on and off the court, whether it's like his favorite movie or whether it's his favorite player or just everything that, that Utah does. We are stands here on the buzz and in, in, in Nets world. But what are your thoughts on those two You know, really sort of you know beloved role players?
2: You know, when you when you arrived on the scene, I thought I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, like obviously he's been a guy that, you know, he was loved in Toronto, but couldn't quite carve out that role. Right. You know, he was known as that guy. And when he came to Brooklyn, I was like, wow, rebounding wing. Obviously, he's got some three point shooting potential, you know, but obviously no one expected to have that hot stretch of games. He even said himself, he's like, I didn't expect to even play this much, you know, so. Now that obviously he's been thriving, obviously you got to see, you know, even though, hey, he's been back a couple games since obviously the right hamstring strain, you got to give him, obviously, get the confidence back right. But I think, I think, uh, is he going to lead the league in NBA three-point percentage? I don't think so, you know. But at, you never know. I know, I know, you're big stand guy, but you know, <laughs> I would love to see it too, but, you know. Obviously, you know, rebounding 3 and D profile, you know, he's one of those guys that you could use in kind of a Swiss Army night position off the bench. TJ Warren is like, he was, I think he was my X factor going into this year because you knew the potential that that guy could have. And, but obviously the biggest red flag was the amount of time that he was away from the court and the type of injury that he's coming back from. Right. Two consecutive stress factors in the same foot. You look at how history tells it's like kind of the similar to an Achilles tear. Obviously if you want to put Achilles tear on tier one, stress fractures in the foot, anything related in that avenue is right below it at Tier 2, right? You never, Those type of guys that come back from injury aren't really known as guys that, hey, they come back to that elite form, right? And at that time, when he last played, uh, aside from the four games that he played between, which don't, obviously you don't even want to sample size those, but, you know, obviously that was the bubble tenure. You saw the scoring punch. You saw what he could do. You know, I think his defense has been very impressive as of late. You know, that's that's been really Have you really been surprised impressive. by that? I'm surprised by that yeah you know, same. I'm surprised that I'm surprised how how well his footwork is on the defensive end especially in the post you know I think as well you know even in one-on-one situations where you know the guy has him off a switch or whatever the case is plus you also saw too a lot of these teams in this in these per- first couple of games um they're starting to catch on now but they, obviously they mismatched on him because of him coming off the injury and maybe he's thinking you know what maybe we could beat him off the dribble maybe you could you know get around him easier compared to other lengthy defenders that the Nets have other wings that the Nets have so they definitely target on mismatches. And, you know, he's held his fair shot, and it's, it has surprised me for sure. Um, so I think that's a sustainable thing for him. I think that if he, he knows as well, too, uh, while he gets his, his legs under him, I think, too, to stand out in that wing crowd of, obviously, Joe Harris, Royce, all those guys. And you saw how dependent the Nets are on Royce just looking at the minutes alone, and it's kind of what he's been uh, mostly assigned to do. He's been the guy that's taking on a lot of the toughest defensive assignments on, from the opposing teams as of late. You know, um, with TJ, you know, if he could just kind of hold that um, defensive kind of surprise element in there and provide that scoring punch, you know, and be confident as, as he gets his legs underneath him. And I know Vaughn has stressed it himself and other guys have stressed it saying, hey, we don't have any timetable for him to become like the bubble god that he was and like, you know, all that type of stuff. We want him to just get comfortable on his at his own pace and his own time. Obviously, with 29 games in the year. It's an 82-game slate. Time is on his side to get more and more comfortable, which is scary because, you know, he's been, he's been pretty damn good. So, um, but those two guys are going to play huge roles. Um, obviously, you know, uh, like I said before, I, I think you is here to stay. I think TJ is obviously here to stay. And uh, I'm excited to see both of them, in the, especially once we hit that midway point, that 55 to 65 game point of the season, where they where know their roles, they're comfortable, their legs are underneath them, and they, um, the kind of the growth in the game in that system.
1: Yeah, just the final things on those guys. One thing on Utah, I love that he just moves. Like, he's just cutting, he's relocating, and those sort of things, because the Nets look so much better offensively when there's ball movement and player movement. The unpredictability when you've got the obviously skill level of Kevin Rank, Corey Irving, and the other guys just makes you a weapon on that. And when it comes to TJ Warren, you know, it, the hardest thing in basketball, the most important thing in basketball is the ability to create your own shot. TJ Warren can do that. He can do that yep. with his eyes closed, and he's going to be able to do that more fluidly as he gains his footing, as you alluded to. And then the one possession that I think a lot of people did see. And if you haven't seen it, you know, watch some tape from that Atlanta Hawks game, where as you alluded to, he got isolated on Trey Young and look, yeah. Trae Young has not had an amazing season. I know, it, I
2: know which player you're hinting at. Yeah. Bro, know.
1: TJ Warren held right his own. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, all right, this is something here. And it's just like, it, it, it just, it gives you so much on both ends of the floor because the Nets have been clamoring for wings. KD has said it, it's a wings league. And if you've got Utah, what's playing above his head, TJ Warren is playing above his head. And Royce O'Neal, who you know, he's been inconsistent, but has been so relied upon, almost to a, a too much of an extent, as you alluded to. It just gives, you – and Joe Harris, you know, obviously, is more of a wing than a, than a shooting guard. It just makes the team so much better at a, at, a, at a point of need where every team wants and needs those sort of guys. And if you add another one, whether it's a Karl Kuzma or whatever, or you add a, a big that can sort of be a bit more switchable, I just think that both of those guys could be really, like, they could legitimately be, you know five to eight guys in your rotation whether it's five yeah. six seven or eight whoever it might be and that's what you want you want guys where it's just like you we chatted about like you know the boston celtics can patty play can seth play can can play all these sort of guys well i don't have those questions maybe a little bit to tj because it's injury sort of stuff and with utah you know is this a flash in the pan i don't think so i think a lot of the stuff that both of them are doing is is sustainable to sort of piggyback what we were saying earlier
2: yeah, a hundred percent. And the the like to to kinda uh, top on top of that, you know, it's um I think I think just to get back to the deadline, just a, a tad to kinda sprinkle in obviously what you just said. I think the biggest thing to look out for is the the unplayable small guards. And when it, do the nets depart from those guys, right? With Seth Curry, for example, and obviously Patty Mills, I think he stays around. I do think Patty Mills stays around. I think I, I don't see, I can't see him really getting traded because obviously the contract size, what he means to, obviously Ben Simmons for example, you know, and you know just his overall. And I know the word uh, culture gets thrown around left, right, and center, but you know that guy that provides, you know, that energy on the team, right? You know, he's also a guy that holds not leadership qualities but you know he's he's, he's a well- respected veteran around the league he knows what it takes to get down there he knows what he'd like to play with stars even though obviously he hasn't played a lot at all in the recent stretch but you know if I I you know if they follow the Celtics method what they did at the trade deadline cutting the the, the, the links and going kind of you know, Like when you look at the selfie, the Schroeder stuff, you know, like those type of moves where they 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 kind of went on and went away from the small guards and went with their that profile that was clear as image that led them to the the finals. You know, that's 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 my uh, big, big thing to keep an eye out for in the uh, trade deadline coming up. Uh, Yeah. Couple yeah of, we still got a little bit
1: of time we've got a bit of time we've got plenty of time to see a billion different trade proposals on net twitter but in in saying that you know the the playoffs is where your weaknesses shine more and where you get attacked for those weaknesses and the nets yeah. unfortunately do have that in their roster construction who, who do you blame yeah. for that sure marks or whoever else whatever you know the contract for patty mills you know i've been a, a massive patty mills believer I've written articles about him i love him he's a, a goddamn australian icon he's gaming against guy pace. Well. great guy awesome awesome dude but you know, you have to be a, uh, the thing that frustrated me when i saw that report was just frustrating because you know are you serious about winning this championship you know or, or are you just like look are we really going to appease ourselves to kevin Durant when you know, maybe next week when the nets go on a an and full run he decides to you know put that trade request out there look and i've all and I've, i see all the time i'm always looking at what's happening on the bench ben and patty are always sitting together they're arriving together all those different sort of things and are you going to pay a guy $6 million for that? I, I wish not. You know, if Patty was on the vet minimum, I'd be just like, okay, cool. It's nothing venture, nothing gained. If he's
2: on the TJ, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the the TJ, the Uta Watson Army, the Marquise Morris, those sort of guys. But he, yep. he got re-upped on a, on a contract that is above the value that he's providing. And especially when you compare it to, like, Bruce Brown, which a lot of Nets fans, including myself, have brought up, who's on earning basically the same amount of money and contribute probably a much greater role to this current Nets team as he's doing in Denver, but a discussion for another day. Any final thoughts though, Chris, on Nets world in general, the players, their chances going forward, trade stuff, or or just any other general stuff?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer here. I think me and you both know, I don't think they're in that tier one category of contenders. You know, I think any of us that, I, I get it, fans are fans, you know, all that stuff, but they're not on the same level as Boston, you know. Milwaukee as well, you know. They're they're almost there, but they're still a step behind. I think that's why the trade deadline is going to be valuable. I think obviously the buyout market's valuable, like kind of everything I discussed, like you know, lots of minutes ago and everything like that. Same thing with you as well, you know. We're on the same page there. Um, another part of it too is obviously this upcoming stretch is will tell a lot. I think it came at a perfect time as well for this team. Uh, obviously, no bigger than Warriors and Bucks back to back at home. Uh, obviously, it's not back to back, but it's two to, two days apart from each other. Uh, that that stretch will t- that stretch will tell a lot. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think guys, the you know, it's it's going to be interesting. You know, I think from now to from de- December fifteenth to I'll give it I'll give it like January twentieth. I think though, I think there will be a lot of rumblings, but at the same time, I think. Um, and this is just going opinion wise. I think um, I don't like I said before. Jakubertel he makes the most sense for me. You know I think I think that yeah. that's a guy to keep in mind. Obviously Vucevic it could be a little bit more of a stretch depending on what, how much Chicago uh, what his mostly his price tag is with Chicago. Considering if they do blow it up, which I do think they will. Um, but you know I would not be surprised at all if Sean goes. The you know we don't need the 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 household name guy that everyone keeps going for and targets some guy kind of out of out of left field, and, you know, he's a perfect plug-and-fit, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what's going to happen, but like I said, to kind of sum it up, hey, I think this stretch is going to be very important for this team. Obviously, I'm, I'm big on that kind of once you hit game 35, game 40, you see, what, you see where the holes are, like you said before, when you hit the playoffs, all the play calls, everything's out the window. Um, it's all, hey, team knows the weaknesses, what works, what doesn't against you guys. Um, But uh, do I believe on the Nets being contenders league? I definitely do. I have a lot of – they have the pieces. They have the skill set. You see what they're molding right now. Um, Very high on them. As of right now, it won't put them in that category, but I can see the potential definitely coming alive. um, Definitely down the line for sure.
1: Yeah, I think the main thing in that is that Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant. He's playing insane basketball. Obviously, the three ball isn't there to an extent, but he's Kevin Durant. That will turn around to 40%. Yeah, and he'll he'll get a couple of, of open threes, one once or twice, and, and he'll nail all of them. But you know, in yeah, terms the of the art sort of, of
2: the double teams, ch-
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. He just needs to, and I think the ball movement and having Ben back, you know, Ben's really good at creating open threes for his teammates, and also you know, in relation to the sort of stuff we've been speaking about, even if a big trade isn't made and it happens to be. PJ Washington, even to a lesser extent, like Daniel Tyson, or these sort of guys, yeah. prototypically, just something that can increase the strength and quality of the rotation, whether it's at the point of attack, whether it's a guard, you know, a Mike Conley, an Alex Caruso, a KJ Martin, whatever else it, it might be, other guys that are out there, or DeLon Wright. You just need to add a semblance of strength to this rotation because if not, yeah. then you know, the, the Nets and Sean Marks and Joe Sy. Aren't doing their jobs to the extent that they should be because their job is to provide the best winning product for us fans as well as for the players and Kevin Durant given where he has where he's at in his career and I, as you alluded to you know one move two moves there, there's just uh, all it takes is a little bit and I think the Nets Nets can get themselves going because I think you owe it. And and this is going to make me sound like a Kevin Durant stand, but when you have the best players, you know, in the league and in in you know generational guys, whether it's LeBron James, Kevin Durant, these sort of guys, and they're playing at the level that they are, and Kevin Durant still doing this, coming off an Achilles at age thirty four, he's not <laughs> a spring chicken as you alluded to. He's age thirty five, season next year. You might not have to be all in, but you've got to be bloody close to throwing all the chips in there because you owe that to a guy like him, you know, the fact that he signed with your franchise. Give him the ch- best chance to win a championship because us fans would want it. Kevin Durant wants it more than any other, anyone else as well. So let's get this done. Let's get it done. Love it, Love it brother. Uh, as always, my friend, it's, uh, tell everyone where they can find you because you've got a couple of platforms where it's just like, yeah. the guy's doing things, he's doing things there and you need to be following I'm, I'm them. I'm
2: everywhere, man. Not, Follow- I told me I'm in Austin too, man. Uh, Obviously, work at Netsdale. Well, there's more than anything Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation. I do a lot yeah. of my writing there. Obviously, I still, very, I still very much contribute to Nets Daily. Um, I have an SB Nation podcast as well with my health coach, Jas King. We record every Friday, or at least we try to record every Friday, barring any shoot-arounds. Um, social, I do social media work, and I'm a social media manager at Nayspot Trophy, doing stuff there. And
1: shit, well, do I got What's anything else? What's your Twitter, on? Come on. you you got to oh, the, okay. the that's, easy that's, spot that's, where everyone can follow
2: you. That's yeah. C. SB. You can find me there on Twitter. That's the That's the best place you can find me on Twitter that's well, going to be just in general that's where everything goes that's where that's everything goes home.
1: mate that's where everything goes that that link to his twitter his handle is going to be in the episode description guys it is always a goddamn pleasure chris make sure you're following him and reading him and doing everything in relation to chris mohom this guy knows hoops he knows nets hoops so guys let's keep going nets world we up
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine